Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this. All of My Mochi's fabulous flavors like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This week, I'll visit with the First Lady of Iceland, Eliza Reid, to talk about some extraordinary women and how they're closing the gender gap and serving as a role model for the rest of the world. Then I'll shift gears and talk about something that can negatively affect travel if you don't have it, travel insurance, and in particular, something everybody should have, medical evacuation and repatriation coverage. I'll speak with John Goebbels, the Chief Operating Officer of MedJet. Then, some good news for a change. I'll talk with Gary Leff, the creator of ViewFromTheWing.com, on an uplifting travel story, celebrating an unsung airline hero. But first up, my conversation with the First Lady of Iceland. She's just written a fascinating book, Secrets of the Spracker, and a universal story. It's also a book that travels well because the stories it tells are global in impact. Say goodbye to performance-robbing engine deposits with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Hate to break it to you, but lower-grade fuel can leave deposits in your engine that build up over time and leave your engine's performance severely lacking. Thankfully, Shell V-Power Nitro Plus removes up to 100% of performance-robbing deposits with continuous use in gasoline direct injection engine fuel injectors. Download the Shell app today to find your nearest Shell station and rejuvenate your engine with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Fuel up at Shell. Thank you so much for coming back and talking to me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. You know, it's it's said if you, you know, it, it, not just from a travel perspective, but from just a, an evolution perspective, that for the last twelve years, the World Economic Forum's Global Gender Gap Report has ranked Iceland as the number one on its list of countries closing the gap in equality between men and women. This is 
one of your areas of passion. It's really one of the reasons why you wrote the book. Absolutely, absolutely. I just thought I wanted to uh, really illustrate, sort of paint a portrait of what it was like to live in a country or to be in a woman in a country where we really passed the tipping point of debating whether or not working towards achieving gender equality is an important goal, but how we are going to get there. And hopefully in, in doing so, in painting that portrait and talking to a number of different women, I can inspire people around the world to make changes in their lives that might help bring about greater quality for everyone, which is going to benefit everyone in society. Of course, this has been a passion of yours for quite some time. And I want to go back to pre-pandemic times because what the pandemic did for us is it was a wake-up call on so many different levels. It allowed us to essentially rethink our lives, the quality of our lives, the location of our lives, uh, the quality of our work, and the work-life balance. Uh, and then, of course, in the biggest service industry in the world, which is travel and tourism, there's been an inequality situation there from day one. How many general managers at hotels are women? How many people who are CEOs of Fortune 500 travel companies are women? How many leadership positions are filled by women? And then, of course, something that you know very well, the pay gap. Um, and in a service industry that is, tr- is almost predominantly female, uh, I, mean, I won't say predominantly, but I will say the majority is female. Uh, now that we're coming out of this pandemic and we're sort of like gearing towards the endemic, we're now searing, seeing what? Staffing problems. We're seeing staffing problems across the board. And a lot of that has to do with the gap that you've been talking about all this time. Absolutely, absolutely. We see, um, you know, tourism is is but one example of a sector where uh, working towards achieving greater gender parity is going to be very, very important. And you said a lot of that has to do with um, creating opportunities and employment uh, situations for women, uh, where you know there's a good work-life balance, it all has to do with uh, greater pay equity, as you mentioned. So this is absolutely uh, a- another area that we need to be looking at with with travel and tourism. And I and I hope as well when it comes to Iceland, which obviously relies very heavily on the tourism industry, it's our greatest contributor to GDP. I hope that when uh, people are considering what country to visit, they are also uh, consumers of sustainability, not just from an environmental perspective, but for maybe from a from a, a sort of value perspective, you know, to know that if people are, for example, visiting Iceland, where we we are uh, close close than any other country to achieving gender parity, that when they go to uh, stay in a hotel, they know that the people who work at the hotel are paid a fair wage, that they are paid sick leave and have healthcare coverage, and that to me is also part of being a responsible traveler. Well, I have to first of all, let me get down to a definition of terms. I said the name of the book is Secrets of the Spracker. Spracker is an Icelandic word. It's an old one that means extraordinary or outstanding women. And I'm speaking to one right now, Eliza Reed, the first lady of Iceland. So let's talk about how you got there in Iceland. It's one thing to say you're you're almost there, but you had to start from somewhere. And my guess is it wasn't that easy. I think you're you're absolutely right, and I think one of the key things in this battle is really remaining vigilant. You, you know, not resting on our laurels, not thinking, well, good enough is or close enough is good enough. And and you know, our our history stretches way back to having strong female role models. But a couple of examples that I can give you uh, in more recent history are uh, the Women's Day Off, which was a day in 1975 when 90% of the country's women stopped working for the day to showcase exactly what they were contributing to the economy. 
both in paid and unpaid labor. And so, you know, as you can imagine, the country shut down and kids didn't have any food to eat and the planes didn't run because there were no flight attendants and the banks were shut and the schools were shut. And that really galvanized the nation to show what an impact, you know, 50% of the population has on running a country, running an economy. And five years later, Iceland elected the world's first democratically elected female head of state, Vigdís Finnbogadóttir, as president. And she was president for 16 years. So an entire generation, almost a whole generation of people grew up having a female head of state, thinking that that was absolutely nothing out of the ordinary. And I think those role models are, are very, very important. And if we look to the more modern area, there have been a lot of policies that have been implemented that really uh, make it easier for people to choose uh, how, you know, to, going back to work, for example. So we have very heavily subsidized uh, parental leave policies for both parents, which means that fathers also get involved from a very early age in their upbringing. And then we have very heavily subsidized daycare. And then when it comes to the corporate sector, for instance, we have uh, quotas for the boards of publicly traded companies. We have a law that says that you have to prove that you are paying men and women equal pay for equal work. Um, and, and so there's a lot of legislation that has been introduced to really push this forward. But I think, uh, if anything, what I'm hoping to say with the book is also to really inspire people in our everyday lives. So even if we are not lawmakers ourselves, ways in which we can live our lives, which helps to bring about greater equity for everyone. And that includes things like all of our dreams of not being limited in our career choices to to what we think uh, someone of our gender should be doing. It includes um, involving people uh, of uh, being very intersectional in how we work towards equality, not forgetting uh, groups of, of women like uh, women of foreign origin, women with disabilities, trans women. Um, it includes seeing things with our gender equality glasses, so really consuming culture and, and sports and media with gender equality glasses. So so there's a lot of work that we have to do. Uh, we, we remain vigilant and persistent, and we also see so that it is something that is, it's not a zero-sum game. It's not benefiting one group of people at the expense of another. It's something that is creating a better world for all of us. Well, let me go back to the, the example that you gave of when everybody stopped working for a day. Obviously, mm-hmm. that created a lot of, of attention a lot of movement, a lot of realization. Did any other country or any other community follow in those footsteps? Well, it's, it's a great question. There, it was, it was in the newspapers in the UK. It was in the New York Times that day. And it, in fact, one of the groups that were leading it, organizing it, uh, were called the Red Stocking Movement. And they were a feminist organization, a sort of grassroots organization that were inspired by a very similar organization in the US. Um, I don't know that they uh, had the same nationwide strike, certainly not 90% of people where we would have heard about it, but um, but certainly groups take inspiration from people in other countries to be able to uh, to bring about these changes. And of course, if you take a look at travel and tourism, and you mentioned it yourself, uh, being such a big part of your GDP, you're not alone in that. Uh, you know, there's so many countries in the world that their GDP is even higher than yours when it comes to travel and tourism. You would think they would figure this out by now. I, I absolutely. It's, it's very important because I think, you know, countries that are more gender equal have happier populations. Uh, the companies that have more equity in the organizations have more money on the bottom line. Uh, the populations are longer living uh, for both men and women, and uh, they are more peaceful countries. So hopefully uh, people uh, in, in whatever way they wish to will start working towards increasing this equitability. And I think as 
as travelers, as, as tourists, as people who see the world, um, it, it's something that, you know, we can all always be learning from each other, but we can really be uh, discerning consumers in terms of making sure that the the institutions, the places that we are frequenting uh, as travelers are places that are are respecting human rights in a broad way. And of course, that's that's a no-brainer when you think that when you travel somewhere, your eyes and ears are open, you see it because you have a point of reference now. You can actually see who's do, who's doing good and who's making progress and who's ignoring it. And uh, and now yeah. and now you have an opportunity to say something about it. Yeah, exactly, absolutely. And I mean it's it, that's one of the the many, many things that is so beneficial about travel. And, and as you know, Peter, another one of my passions is is travel and tourism as well. So they, <laughs> they dovetail very nicely. You came from Canada. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, My name, Eliza Reed, is not a very traditionally Icelandic sounding name. <laughs> I grew up on a small hobby farm just outside of Ottawa, the capital of Canada. And I went to graduate school at Oxford University in the UK, where Canadians were a dime a dozen. But there's one Icelander studying there, who I ended up marrying, and uh, many years later, he became the president of the country. Who knew? Okay. So then, all of a sudden, you went from Oxford student to wife to first lady. Exactly. Exactly. It's one of the beautiful uncertainties of life, I suppose. You never know what's around the corner. And and certainly, when when I moved to Iceland to build a life in this country with my husband, and we had four children together in, in just under six years, and I set up a business and an org group called the Iceland Writers Retreat. I never also thought that he would run for president, but I'm I'm tremendously proud of him and, and what he has been achieving. And it's a tremendous honor to be able to serve as first lady. And of course, in that role, you were able to experience and observe everything that became part of the book. Exactly, exactly. It was it was very fortunate. Nobody said no to me when I wanted to speak to them for the book. But, uh, you know, there's interviews with almost 40 women in the book. And, and what I wanted to do really was profile people who are living just everyday lives. I didn't want to necessarily interview the spokesperson for something or the first to achieve something, but really people who are, are, are doing just living lives that they want to, whether they're a fishing captain or the mayor of a village or, or a professional soccer player or a, a rap trio an entrepreneur. And, and I add first lady to that as well, because I think it's something that I kind of examine a lot in the book and in the, in the narrative thread that is there is, is my own story of all of a sudden giving this, getting this national platform and being well known and wanting to talk about gender equality, but recognizing the irony that I have this platform because of something that my husband achieved, which is strange. It is. And, and by the way, when uh-huh. you and I sat down and talked last year, you set me straight. Because I asked a question that I thought was a, a legitimate question, and you shot me down right away. And the question that I asked, and, and you know where I'm going. I, I asked you about the work-life balance and kids and being first lady, and what was your response? I did, and I asked you um, how, how my husband had answered when you'd asked him that question, which I don't think you had yet. And, and I hadn't, and that, uh, my bad. Because, you know, we make certain assumptions, and you, uh, you pointed those out. Thank you so much. <laughs> But but the no but, but the point is well taken. I mean, in fact, um, you know, you came to a certain prominence on the world stage through media. That's where you come from, anyway. But with a with a, a very strong op ed piece that you did in the New York Times, which uh, which asked essentially almost that same question, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's called uh, you know. Uh, I, I'm a first lady, and it's a very weird job, or something like that. But I think the takeaway, the line that a lot of people remembered when I was really examining the fact that there's so many people in the world, very often women, who become known or defined by their better known husbands, 
Um, and, and in somehow in doing so, somehow it erases her identities a bit. And I said, I'm not my husband's handbag that he can grab as he runs up the door and display silently by his side at public appearances. Um, just to make a point that, that of course, I'm, I'm tremendously proud to be his wife and, and proud of what he is doing, but I am also my own person as well. And, and that seemed to really strike a chord with people. Uh, uh, but, it, you yeah. know, I think it's important to point out. It is. And what's amazing about this book is, and, uh, and having read it now, it's a blueprint. It's not just interviews and conversations. It's really a blueprint of how wherever you're living or perhaps wherever you're traveling, you can sort of reshape things. Well, thank you very much. And and I really hope, as you said, that it kind of serves as an inspiration for people, uh, it, it, that it's, it's, um, it's, I hope, a warm and a, and a funny at times book as well. As you said, that when people are going places that we can really learn to see what it is that brings us together, what we can learn from each other, areas where we all can continue to improve and really still just give us that inspiration and that drive to know that it is worthwhile to continue to create a more equitable world for everyone. One last question I wanted to get to you on. When you were doing the book, when you were having these conversations, what was the one conversation you had that surprised you the most? Ah, well, the one conversation is a woman called Ellen, who runs uh, one of the search and rescue crew divisions here in Iceland, which is this um, group of very hardy people who, as the name says, uh, help to rescue tourists who get stranded, for instance, or, or anybody else who goes missing. Uh, it's entirely volunteer run. And I thought, because it's fairly male-dominated, and, and she is one of relatively few women who's running a chapter of that group, that she might have experienced some, uh, some discrimination based on her gender. But she said, in fact, that the organization was the most gender-blind group that she'd been a part of. And when I thought of it, though, then I realized, you know, to actually qualify for these teams, you know, you have to uh, climb up cliffs and jump into the sea. And, and if you show that kind of metal, I don't think anybody cares what your gender is. So it, I was surprised. But then when she explained it, it made a lot of sense. My thanks to the First Lady of Iceland, Eliza Reid. It remains one of the most confusing aspects of the travel experience. It's travel insurance. I'll sit down with John Goebbels, the Chief Operating Officer of MedJet Assist, to discuss the brave new world of medical evacuation and repatriation coverage. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. John, thanks for, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, sir. I really appreciate it. So let's get into this. Uh, and, and you just jump in here anytime I'm wrong, okay? Uh, the whole idea of carrying one of these cards is that for most of us, our personal health care insurance doesn't really cover us once we're outside the United States for situations like, you know, you fall off your bicycle and break your leg or worse, or you, or you get sick. Or you, or you get COVID, uh, or you're quarantined. I mean, I can go through the entire range of, of medical maladies that could happen to somebody when they're traveling. And what this service provides 
is, first of all, you get stabilized where you are uh, medically. And in the case of MedJet, at least, uh, you are consulting with my personal physician. After all, who knows my medical history better than my own doctor? And then in, after that consultation, getting me back to the medical facility and doctor of our choice. That's coverage you really do need. Um, and as I said in the introduction, I've carried one of your cards uh, for the last 25 years. If there was any kind of wood I could knock on right now, I'd knock on it because I've never <laughs> had to use it. But I've had friends of mine who didn't have the card. Uh, I'll give you an example. I was over in Cairo one day and saw, a, a, I will have to call him, a stupid American tourist who wanted to climb the pyramids. Not a good idea anyway. In fact, yep. prohibited. Um, and he fell off, broke his hip. He had to be flown home. He had to buy four first-class tickets to put the stretcher you know, across two rows, a fifth first-class ticket for the nurse that was required to travel with him. His airfare cost alone was something like $87,000. Not a good way to spend your money, not, not to mention your vacation. Uh, and then I've had friends of mine who literally slipped on a, on a cliff in, in Peru trying to climb Machu Picchu, broke their leg, and they did have the card, and you got them home. So talk to me about the history of MedJet for a second, what you do and also what you don't do. Sure. Well, great introduction, and, and, and you know us very well, Peter, and we appreciate that. But really, you know, kind of in a nutshell, you greatly encapsulated it, is, is, is MedJet is, is kind of different than, than the travel insurance product. We're actually, you know, we're a membership program for travelers, much like AAA for the body. Um, and, and we do the things that, that really I think are, are important and, and above what a typical travel insurance policy may do. And, and we'll, we'll talk about a few of those. But we are a medical repatriation membership program. That's basically what we do at, at the heart of it. And if you are a MedJet member and you travel more than 150 miles away from home, and like you said, even domestically and internationally, uh, and you're hospitalized as an inpatient and you require continued hospitalization at home, MedJet takes care of getting you back home to your physicians, to your family, back to that inpatient medical facility where all the doctors know you, like you said, Peter. Um, and, and that's truly what we do at, at the heart of it. So we take all that worry uh, away from trying to figure that out, like buying those commercial tickets and trying to get four seats across an airplane. We do all that for you. And it's all covered under your membership. Fee. And, and by the way, you have an annual membership if you want it. Uh, you have family memberships. Uh, but I should tell everybody, that, and, and this is important to note, that like any other company, you have exclusions uh, or you have you know, you have limits. Meaning, you have age sure. you have age limits. Uh, I'm I'm assuming, and maybe you tell me I'm wrong. There are some insurance companies that have destination exclusions. So, for example, if I said to you today, "Oh, by the way, John, I think I'm going to vacation in Syria," would I still be covered? Yeah, and and, and we're like anyone else, but we, we feel that we're very upfront with our exclusions for the membership, and and that all can be found at Medjet.com, but. Yeah, certain places, like you said, like war zones or countries that are designated by the U.S. State Department that a U.S. citizen should not travel because it's unsafe to do so, then that is a place where we can't send crews into uh, harm's way to be able to retrieve you back. So we would hope that our members aren't traveling really to those places like Syria or active war zones. But, you know, certainly, as, like you mentioned, with age, our regular MedJet membership up to age 75, then we have uh, a Diamond membership 75 to 85, and then for other 
AARP members, it's 85 and above. So so really, depending on, on who you may be a member of, there really even is an exclusion on age. But uh, we, we do have some things that we have to watch out for. COVID is not one of them. We were actually one of the, the first companies actually to cover medical transport for COVID. And it goes back to the same thing, that if you are hospitalized with COVID and require that continued inpatient hospitalization, then your MedJet membership would take care of the same if you fell and broke a hip, uh, climbed in the pyramids, or you know slipped and fell. So it, it, it's really the same thing, but even for COVID. Let me go back a couple of years pre-COVID, let's say the summer of 2019, yep. where we had huge numbers of people traveling around the world. In a given week, month, or even that whole year, I mean, you are operating a lot of... A lot of flights, aren't you? Well, we certainly are. I mean, there's just, and even in certainly 2019 was the height, as you know. Of, I mean, everyone was traveling. and uh, But even through, you know, when COVID came out, we always had members that were somewhere. And that may have been required business travel. But there was not a day in 2019 that we had multiple members being transported, both domestically and internationally, you know, from around the world. And, and that has continued. There was never really a time where we said, you know, well, no one's traveling. We don't have anything to do. And we were getting calls for people that were hospitalized with COVID. We also get a lot of calls for people that are not hospitalized, but have tested positive and can't return. And, and while that's not a covered membership benefit because you're not hospitalized, we certainly assisted those people. So it has been a busy season throughout. Uh, certainly a pretty big dip during that, but things are really turning around. In the wake of COVID, how have you adapted? How have you pivoted? We've seen a lot of travel insurance companies that sell trip cancellation and interruption insurance now put in their policy that if you have to cancel your trip because of COVID, they will cover you now, or you get COVID while you're overseas and you have to be quarantined and you know you have, you have expenses in a hotel, they'll cover that as well. Have you had to change some of the language in your policy as well? Well, we, we did. And, and in the membership rules and regs, you know, as I mentioned, um, we were the first company really that wrote into actually adding coverage versus taking coverage away. We really didn't have to restrict coverage uh, for anything during COVID because that wasn't something that, you know, usually wasn't covered anyway. But we actually included that language into our membership rules and regulations that if you are hospitalized more than 150 miles away from home, continued inpatient hospitalization requirement back home so you're sick you've got a respiratory illness you may have covid related pneumonia anything like that we included that language to be able to assist our members in getting them back globally back to their home hospital of choice my thanks to john and batting third but not least ever lose something on a plane did you leave it in the seat pocket or maybe the overhead compartment did it ever come back to you more often than not you never saw it again Gary Left from ViewFromTheWing.com has a story with a truly happy ending, but it had to take about two years to happen. So, Gary, fill me in on the mysterious iPad. Well, just shortly before the pandemic, so January 2020, there's a passenger that shared on social media that they had lost their iPad on an American Airlines flight. They were flying from London Heathrow to Dallas-Fort Worth, and what they said is that it had gotten swallowed up in their business class seat. And so at the end of the flight, uh, the pilot, of all people, helped them to partially strip away some of the seat upholstery, you know, take out, take out the life vest, try to get at that iPad. And they just weren't able to find it. They abandoned the search. He had a connecting flight that he had to make. Uh, the aircraft wasn't going to be on the ground very long. They didn't think that they could get you know, maintenance to, uh, to, to do anything without delaying the next flight. Well, the iPad's battery lasted long enough that this passenger was being taunted. 
He watched the iPad traveling to Miami. He watched the <laughs> iPad traveling to Charlotte. And when the battery finally ran out, he lost hope that he'd ever see this device again. Well, this month, so he just got back uh, the iPad. He got a phone call from an American Airlines mechanic in Tulsa. And the man had called to say that they found the iPad while the aircraft was in maintenance. And it had been locked with a startup screen that showed the passenger's phone number. You know, he recharged, the mechanic recharged the iPad. And so then he reached out to the passenger. The passenger tweeted American Airlines, their Twitter uh, team, uh, for help. And they arranged to have it shipped uh, back to the owner two years and a pandemic later. So it's one of these good stories about an airline that, you know, here's a mechanic, uh, Roberto in Tulsa, who went to the effort of, he found it, he figured out whose it was, he reached out, and then the airline uh, managed to return it to him. Now, he does say that in the meantime, uh, he had replaced his iPad. Uh, so, you know, he, he didn't go two and a half years without one. Um, but, you know, now he has a second one. Well, let's hear it for Roberto in Tulsa. I love stories like that because the other stories that I hear too much of are what happens when people lose an item. It could be a pair of eyeglasses, could be a, a, a you know historic pen of theirs that had great sentimental value or great dollar value, or a notebook or a leather you know a leather briefcase, and it never comes back. And you start to track the you know, the the the, uh, the chain of custody of who had possession of the plane during a period of time where they could have found it. And what you find invariably is that when a plane gets to its destination and the passengers get off, the cleaning crew that comes on doesn't work for the airline. They're, a, they're an independent company that's sort of outsourced by the airline, and they just go in there and clean a plane and throw everything out. Um, and there's no real supervision as to say, hey, you think this might be belonging to somebody? You think it might be valuable? It Once it goes in the plastic bags... It's gone because they're under a ticking clock to get that plane cleaned and turned for the next passengers. And that's where the real problem is in many cases. That's right. That's right. And they don't have a lot of time uh, and they're just trying to get the plane cleaned as quickly as they can. And they don't really benefit. They don't, you know, they're not incentivized. They're not rewarded for doing, you know, these good deeds. They're not even the one that's going to get the warm and fuzzies from making that return happen. I know that airlines can do better because I've seen it. I had one time I left my camera on a Singapore Airlines flight and they had it for me on the jet bridge of my connecting flight. They knew the seat that I was in. So they knew whose it was. Uh, and they knew where I'd be going next, and they had someone there waiting for me to hand it back as I boarded. Well, you know, the it can re- be done. Of course, it can be done. And in this particular case of the missing iPad, the irony here is also the reality here that the reason why he got the iPad back was because it literally was under that seat for almost two years without anybody <laughs> having access to it. And, and Tulsa, of course, is American Airlines' main maintenance space where they literally strip planes, they take them apart. And maybe it was going through a seat check or they were or they were changing all the seats. And when they took everything off the stanchions, there it was. So it wasn't a, if it had been a cleaning crew that had gone in there and he'd left it in the seat back pocket, he may have never seen it again. But under the seat where nobody could get to it, there it is. Buried treasure. And they found it. We loved we loved that story. And, and, and really just a, a great kudos to the employee who had the initiative who just wanted to make somebody's day and return something that, that belonged to the passenger. And by the way, 
We love celebrating heroes. I've got one at Delta. His name is Rocky. You have Roberto at American at Tulsa. These are the people who truly save the day, and they don't get enough shout-outs. So, uh, Roberto, you just got about four shout-outs from us today on Eye on Travel. My thanks to Gary, to John Goebbels, and to the First Lady of Iceland, Eliza Reed. And my thanks to you for listening to this Eye on Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the other breaking travel news, just log on to petergreenberg.com. The Ion Travel Podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.